If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Philippians 4 this week, once again. I want us to think about this morning um, our own attitudes. And to be honest, this has been a, a good study for me. It's a good heart check sometimes to think about motives and uh, outward appearance and, and how we do things, how we go about things. I think that we sometimes have a tendency to look to the negative, some of us. And then some of us have a tendency to look to only the positive. And I think we can be wrong in that, in that respect sometimes because we miss uh, seeing the whole picture. But overall, I think one of the hardest things for us to really have uh, is, is an attitude of gratitude. And gratitude is not just an individualistic thing. This is a, um, what I've put in the title here, it's the grand scheme of gratitude. It's not just you having an attitude of gratitude, me having an attitude of gratitude. It's about everybody working together to make sure that we have the correct attitude. And to be honest, sometimes it's difficult. I think sometimes it's very difficult, challenging for us to have the right attitude. Even when I, we have the best of intentions, we can be pushed into the negative or pushed into the, the defeated attitude when life gets rough. And it seems like there's times when we go from a good attitude to a bad attitude to the right attitude. Now, follow me on that. Because some of you are thinking, no, you just go from a good one to a, or a bad one to a good one. Or some of you go from, if you missed your coffee that morning, from a good one to a bad one. But I want us to understand there's, there's a good attitude, a bad attitude, then there's the right attitude. Because what happens is, and I'm convinced of this, we go from those of us who have followed Christ, those of us who have turned our lives over to Him, we go from a, uh, a spirit-filled attitude to a fleshly attitude to a spirit-led attitude. Now catch that. We're spirit-filled. The Bible tells us that. We are in Christ. He has filled us. We're the temple. He takes residence in us. But then we get to a fleshly place when, when things get tough, when pressures increase, when life throws stuff at us, and we get to that fleshly attitude where we just want to throw hands. Right? We, we just want to, hey, you know, I, I find this all the time dealing with this stuff with Lanny. I'm like, look, just find who I have to beat down to make this better, and I'll do it. And that's not possible because it's not that kind of a problem. And so we get that fleshly attitude of, all right, God, you need to ease up and just let me handle this because you're not doing it the right way. And then we have that conviction that falls on us or we get to that point of brokenness like the song talked about that we just come broken and we say, God, I can't fix this and I can't have the right attitude. And then we become spirit-led. Our problem is not the Holy Spirit leaving us. The problem is that we stop listening to Him. And so we have to get to that point of brokenness where we say, okay, God, I quit. I give up. This is yours. It was yours from the beginning. I'm going to acknowledge it's yours, and I'm going to let you lead in every aspect of this situation. It's very interesting to me that even though this is a prison epistle, it's also one of the most encouraging letters that Paul writes. He actually uses the word rejoice 11 times in this short four-chapter epistle. And then Paul even says, and we're going to talk about that uh, either next week or the week after, how, depending on how the Lord leads, God will meet all your needs according to His riches in glory. So he, he's, he's in a prison, he's ca held captive, he's, and by the way, this is not, again, I, I think I've said this a few times, this is not a, a club fed, 
This is not a federal penitentiary where you get all this time outside and the weather's nice and you get to do skills and crafts. It's kind of like, you know, VBS for naughty adults. This is a prison where you're chained in a dungeon. You're, you're in a, a, a grimy, dingy, nasty dungeon and you're, you don't have meals. You don't have, you know, uh, workout time. You just you sit in a dungeon. And so Paul writes this, and he's trying to encourage us to have the right attitude. And I want us to see the characteristics of, uh, of the whole group. Because, again, we're talking about the grand scheme. So I want us to see the characteristics of the church, of Paul, of God, and then of all of them. So those three individuals, and then are, are the church being considered an individual, because that's where we have to find ourselves, and then all of them working together. So I want to talk about today how all these things fit together in the grand scheme of gratitude. So if you would, uh, we're going to do things a little different this morning. We're not going to stand. If you would just give me uh, a little bit of leeway this morning, a little bit of flexibility, we're going to dive in, and we're going to talk about these four things, and I'm going to read these verses fully each time for each point, and that way we're going to get the, the whole uh, passage but we're going to get it in little bites to make sure we don't miss anything because some of these verses are a little long and I don't want us to, to forget or for that to, to decay away as we get toward the end, okay? So the first one is the concern of the church. That's the first thing I want us to see when it comes to this grand scheme of gratitude. And in verse 10 in chapter 4 of Philippians, this is what Paul writes. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I want you to underline that in your mind or kind of highlight that if your mind doesn't have an underline or maybe it's got a highlighter, highlight that. Concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. You see, here Paul goes back to his original uh, intention, his original focus of the letter. Let me read this for you. Throw your mind back to six years ago, it seems like, when we first did Philippians 1. And he says this, in Philippians 1, verses 3 through 5, remember this is his opening kind of his opening, opening salvo into this letter. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So he, he starts it out with this thankfulness for them, and then he does it again here toward the end. He rejoices greatly in the Lord that you cared about me, you re renewed your care, and that even though you lacked the opportunity, you still were concerned for me. Even though he started this church 10 years prior to this letter being written, they're still active in their support of him, and he's still actively involved with them and actively praying for them. He doesn't focus on the times they couldn't support him. Rather, he focuses on the fact that they seized the opportunity to do so when it came about. And here, here's a sentence I want you to, to get. I wrote this up there. God uses our availability to provide us opportunity, but we must decide if we will be useful or if we will be idle. I'm going to read that again. God uses our availability to provide us opportunity, but we must decide if we're going to be useful or idle. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute, but here's the question that this poses, and I want to give it to you this morning. And, and this is a personal question. I tell you, most of these questions that I bring to you, it's not that I'm trying to poke you, it's that he's already poked me. And I'm just trying to share with you conviction that he's given me. So here's the question. Do I see, he's personally, look, look at me, everybody look at me real quick. This is not asked to the church, this is asked to you, to you, to you, to me, okay? This is an individual question I believe God is prompting us with in this passage this morning. 
Do I seize the chance to invest in a ministry or a person when I can? Or do I use an inability to give at that moment to, pre to prevent an opportunity to give in the future? Now that's a question that we, each of us has to answer. Do I, personally me, do I choose to take the chance to invest in a person or a ministry when I can? Or do I use the inopportunity or inability at that time to prevent me from giving in the future? Because notice that Paul says uh, that, that he was appreciative for them, that they were concerned about him even though they lacked the opportunity to show it. So he understands their concern. He understands the fact that they didn't have opportunity, but he knows that that didn't stop them from later coming back around and giving, them, uh, giving themselves over to service. Note that Paul uses the term in the Lord there. Just as he asked Yodia and Sintichi to agree in the Lord. And by the way, that, that phrase, this is interesting to me, that phrase appears 256 times in the Bible in the Hallman Christian Standard Bible, okay? 256 times. Listen, 210 of those in the Old Testament. This is a concept, again, Christology, understanding that Christ is all in all. Christ is through the entirety of Scripture. Always God is telling them to Whatever, fill in the blank in the Lord. Let me give you some examples. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord. Psalm 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord. Ephesians 6, 1, obey your parents in the Lord. Ephesians 6, 10, be strong in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 31, which is actually quoting Jeremiah 9, 24, says the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. Our boasting is in the Lord. Our peace is in the Lord. Our prosperity is in the Lord. Our service is in the Lord. Our, our cooperation is in the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord. What we are searching for, longing for, lonely for, looking for is only found in the Lord. He thanks them for their consistency in supporting his ministry and his mission and the gospel even when they weren't able to do so. Think about this. This church in Philippi was a Macedonian church, okay? Now watch this. 2 Corinthians 8 has this passage. I'm going to read the whole thing, verses 1 through 5. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches in Macedonia. So he's talking about, in part, the Philippian church. Verse 2, during a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. All right, wait. That must be a misprint. Read your Bible with me. Let's just make sure. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. Church, we are missing it. We are missing it in America today. We are angry with God because He doesn't have our team winning or our political party in power or things aren't going the way we want our 401k. And look at this church in Macedonia. It says, through severe testing by affliction, their joy and deep poverty. How does joy and deep poverty end up in the same sentence? Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. Here's what I believe. Because they didn't have Jack, they had to lean on joy. We have too much stuff 
and we forget that our joy is in the Lord. We think our joy is in our 401k. We think our joy is in our bank account. We think our joy is in our commute or our lack of a commute now. We think our joy is the fact that we are going to get to go to the beach or the lake or the mountains. Our joy is only in the Lord. All of that other stuff is commercials. The good, the bad. Cancer or, or winning the lottery. Those two ends of the spectrum are just commercials because our joy is in the Lord. Verse 3, he says, I testify that on their own accord, I'm sorry, on their own, according to their own ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. Let me tell you something, church, if you're not giving yourself to the Lord, keep your money. I know that seems weird for a preacher to say, but I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're not going to give yourself over to the Lord, your checkbook is useless. Your giving, your tithes, your offerings, all that stuff is useless. You know why? Because it's not given with the right motives. Our motives are more important to God than what we actually give. I'm going to say it again. God does not need your money. Don't you ever Dare to think that God is sitting in heaven, wringing his hands, going, man, I sure hope they write that check this week. I don't know how I'm going to keep the doors open if they don't write that check. God doesn't care about that. What he cares about, what he desires, is to bless his children by their obedience. We have not because we ask not, and we ask the wrong way. God is not calling you to give. He's calling you to obey him. Don't answer to the checkbook. Don't answer to the bill collector. Give as unto the Lord. Proverbs 3.27 says, When it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one it belongs. When it is in your power. Notice the emphasis Paul has here is on rejoicing, but don't lose sight of the fact that he's writing it while in chains. If you want to know how a man in prison can rejoice, it's because anyone who has surrendered their life to Christ can never truly be held captive by anyone or anything. There's freedom in that. Y'all have heard me talk about my friend Derek. My friend Derek graduated high school with me in a little podunk town called Florella. We had 35, I think, in our graduating class. We had all met. Derek was a good kid. He wasn't a partier. Uh, he, he was just a, a good old boy. And, and I lost touch with Derek between going to the Navy and him going into business. And I knew he was in sales. I didn't know that much about what he was doing. But uh, he killed three people. He had surgery. He got, they gave him Oxycontin. He got hooked on it. And his life spiraled out of control and led him. He, he doesn't remember. When I went and met with him in the Bay County Jail almost five years ago, a little over five years ago, uh, no, six years ago, he, he didn't know what he had done. He told me, he says, I really don't remember any of it. But he's serving life without parole. And we're pen pals. We, they've got an email system now. We write back and forth. We write, we've been writing letters, and now we're doing this email thing. And I've gone and visited him a few times. And we have these conversations. And I'm telling you, it's almost like a modern-day Paul. We were writing in, in our emails just a couple months ago. And uh, I, he had he'd been asked about Lainey, and I, I told him that she had had a, a, a flare-up, and we didn't know what was going on, and we were kind of concerned, and just shared with him what was going on. Let me, let me give you, I, I quoted this. This is what he said when he was talking about Lainey and, and our situation. 
Stay strong in the faith. We worship a God that never fails. We must see the victory. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Writing that from a jail cell on lockdown 23 hours a day during the uh, COVID pandemic. And he's writing to tell me to see the victory. You see, here's a reminder for you. Everything is in God's providence. But when God chooses to remain anonymous, we call that coincidence. The word providence comes from two Latin words. Pro meaning before and videre meaning to see. So in other words, it means either to see beforehand or to see to it beforehand. He knows the end from the beginning. God sees the before and he sees to it before and makes arrangements accordingly. Paul understood this because he understood God. Let me give you some history here. Paul trusted God because he knew his character and reputation. In Genesis 22, we find the story of Abraham who has prayed for this son and prayed and prayed. And God has given him a son in his old age. And then God comes to him and says, I want you to take your son Isaac up to the mountain. I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And in Genesis 22.8, Abraham is asked, hey, I don't, we don't have a lamb. Which is a pretty good question. If you're the son and you're going up on the mountain and you don't have a lamb and you know you're going to sacrifice, you're like, hey, dad. Here's what Abraham answered. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You see, Abraham didn't understand the command to sacrifice his son Isaac, but watch me. He understood the providence of God, so he trusted that it would be seen to. And then in Genesis twenty-two fourteen, after this, uh, this amazing story of him taking his son up there, binding his son, putting him on the altar, and then right before he plunged the knife in, he heard a, a voice say, Hold up, Abraham, I've provided a lamb. He looks over, and there's a, there's a ram in a thicket. And here's what Abraham says in Genesis twenty-two fourteen. He calls God Yahweh Yireh, or Jehovah Jireh, is what we, some English translations have. And it means the Lord will see to it. Because he had trusted and God had come through. Listen to me, church, that's providence. That's the providential hand of God providing. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph says this to his brothers who had thrown him into a well, had sold him into slavery. He says this, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. You see, Joseph knew that God used the evil plan his brothers had made to get rid of him, to providentially secure what they would need to survive the drought. And he accepted all that he, all he had been through, all that had to happen in order for that to take place. This is the song we sang this morning. This is another. Grace is just hitting them out of the park with picking songs. Even what the enemy meant for evil... You turn it to our good. That's Genesis 50, 20. It's also Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord that are called according to His purpose. Even when we don't know it, see it, like it, it doesn't matter because God is working everything out for our good. The more we can understand and lean on the providence of God, the more contentment and joy we will find. So there's the concern of the church. Number two, the contentment of the servant. Look at verses 11 and 12 in Philippians 4. He says, I don't say this out of need. <laughs> Wait a minute. Y'all get your Bibles out. We got to check me again. That can't be in there. He's in prison. Some of us can't write that sitting in our living room. 
God help us to understand him. He says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Listen, this passage contains the secret to happiness. It contains the secret to peace, no matter what your circumstances are. But here's the problem. We are not born into contentment. We are born into craving. He says he isn't speaking from want or need, but he's writing from a prison. How can he not have needs? How can he not have lack in his life? He's like, I, I don't, I'm not missing anything. Need or want is a word in the Greek that means a falling short. He's, he's in prison and he says nothing is falling short. Goodness gracious. Paul isn't thanking them because he was needy, but because he appreciated their commitment and their service. He's learned the most valuable lesson in life, to be content regardless of circumstances. Can't, listen, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Y'all can tell the truth and just be, be quiet over there. Just hold it within. But do y'all think this is a problem for us? Do you think it's a problem for us in the American church to, to be able to understand contentment and find peace even though things aren't going exactly the way we want them to be? Because let me tell you something. I want to make sure we understand this. Whoever is elected in the 1st of November, God is on the throne. He's not going to step off of His throne because of an R or a D. He is going to be on His throne regardless of what the economy does. Warren Wiersbe has two great quotes. I'm going to give you both of them. I really don't like to give too much of those quotes, but I'm just studying. I read two things that he wrote, and they both just fit perfectly. Listen to this. Prosperity has done more to damage believers than has adversity. Prosperity has done more to damage believers than has adversity. In the church, uh, in the letter to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3, Revelation 3.17, the Lord told John to write that God would vomit this church out of his mouth. That's the literal spew, vomit. That's the word. Because they were lukewarm. Not, not because they were poor. Not because they were rich. Not because they were safe. Not because they were in danger. Because they were bad. They were just there. Can I tell you this? That's something I pray to God never happens to me. I don't ever want to just be there. You may not like me. I may be a big mouth. I may, I may, I may say something that hurts your feelings. I don't care. As long as I'm not lukewarm, I'll be okay. And I'm not going to get cold. I'm not going to get cold. I'm going to continue to strive to, to, to live for my Savior no matter what happens. But I don't want to get to that point where I just go, well, I've, I've done enough. I've accomplished enough. I've, I've preached enough sermons. I've led enough songs. I've, I've counseled enough couples. I've, I've, I've shared the gospel enough. I just want to just sit back and relax. Because this is what he said. Watch this. He, he tells them this. Because you say I'm rich, I have become wealthy, and I need nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Could he not write that to the church in America? Just as well as he wrote it to the church at Laodicea. We have enough. We have a big enough building, God. We have a large enough staff, God. We don't need you. 
We have a blueprint on how to do ministry. We have X ministry and Y ministry, and they're functioning properly. And we have people giving, and we've got these uh, cards filled out that people are going to give a certain amount so we know that we're going to have it coming in. And so we don't need you, God. We don't need your providence. We don't need your blessings. Because why? Because we've got our own plan. <laughs> Let me give you some good country music theology. If you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. Contentment is a most unnatural state for a human being. Do y'all realize that? Let me give you some examples. If Adam and, Eve had, Adam and Eve had found contentment in God's perfect garden, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. One rule. God, you just put too many rules on us. I can't keep track of them. He says, one, don't eat that. <laughs> Why? Because we're not born into contentment. We're born into craving. We crave. Even the things that we know aren't good for us, we crave. If people could find contentment in their own circumstances, we'd have no lust, no greed, and no wars. If we could learn contentment in Christ, our lives would make more sense and we would find more fulfillment than we can imagine. In explaining the parable of the sower to his disciples, uh, Jesus explains the seed sown among the thorns. You remember that? He explains it this way in Matthew 13, 22. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the seduction of wealth choke the word and, and it becomes unfruitful. No root, no fruit. It chokes it down. The worries of this world. Note that the worries that come with life as well as the seduction that wealth can become are what, you, what is used here to choke the word to the point that it has no effect. You know what every rich person I've ever known had in common? There are two things. Every one of them. They wanted more money and more peace. They wanted more wealth and more peace. That's all. Every one of them. They all want it. The world promises peace will come with wealth, success, or power. But the Word of God tells us that peace only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, now that's the caveat, those of you who haven't surrendered to Christ, I'm not talking about walking an aisle, I'm talking about living a life of surrender, don't have this. They're not, you're not declared righteous by faith until you surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And then watch, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, if you've never surrendered to Christ, you haven't been declared righteous. And if you haven't been declared righteous, you can have no peace, no matter how much money you have. Here's the other Warren Wiersbe quote. Contentment comes from adequate resources. Our resources are the providence of God, the power of God, and the promises of God. These resources made Paul sufficient for every demand of life, and they can make us sufficient too. The lesson of contentment can only be learned and it is most often learned through suffering. But suffering comes in many forms. You can suffer with much, with little. You can suffer in pain. You can suffer in despair and loneliness. You can suffer in bad relationships. But very often, contentment is only learned through suffering. So we see the concern of the church. We see the contentment of the servant. Now let's look at the capability of the Lord. Verse 13, I, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Seems pretty simple, right? This is probably the most misquoted, misunderstood verse in all of Scripture. I am able to do all things through Him 
who gives me strength. Or some translations, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The Amplified Bible says, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I love that. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. The problem is that we think we're self-sufficient without Him. It's hard to get somebody... Listen, this is what I tell people about church in the Bible Belt. You've got to convince them they're lost before you can ever get them found. I'm good. I, I, no, 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 no. I'm good. I'm good. Now, my, my life's a wreck, and my family's a wreck, and my relationships are a wreck, and, and I don't know how I'm going to do this and that, and, but I'm good because I had some baptismal certificate or some VBS or some declaration of faith. Now, never mind, no fruit equals no root. Don't worry about that. Don't look at my life for fruit, but just leave me alone because I want to just believe that I'm a Christian because I was born in the South. There's a lot of people who believe they're going to heaven because they're Catholic. I'm going to tell you something. Being Catholic doesn't make you Christian. Neither more than being Baptist makes you Christian. Or being Methodist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal. It doesn't matter your denomination. It doesn't matter your affiliation. Look at me. What matters is your dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. Only when we've surrendered to Him can we find this peace that's so difficult to find. And we can find this self-sufficiency in His sufficiency. Because He's all-sufficient, He gives us sufficiency. Here's what this verse doesn't mean. You ready? It doesn't mean my team will win the game. It doesn't mean my side will win the election. It doesn't mean I can lift an 18-wheeler. It doesn't mean I can throw a football a quarter mile. I bet I could throw it over those mountains. That's not what it means. But that's how it's often used. Here's what it does mean. You ready? I can be in the penthouse, an outhouse, or without a house. And still find peace if I'm surrendered to Christ. I can have cancer and still be content because I know Christ will sustain me. And God has a purpose in my suffering. And it means regardless of how good things get, I still need God desperately. And regardless of how bad things get, I know that my God will not forsake me. John 15, 5, he says, this is Jesus talking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Why? Because you can do nothing without me. 2 Corinthians 12, the latter part of verse 7 through verse 10 says, So that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so I would not exalt myself. This is Paul, right? Wrote half the New Testament, greatest missionary church planner, evangelist in the history of the world. He's, he's saying that God has given me a thorn in my flesh so, so I can be tormented, so I won't exalt myself. Listen, <clears throat> concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times. Listen, I'm not saying I prayed about it. I'm talking about I pleaded with the Lord. I prayed, I fasted, I begged, I cried. Listen to the words of Paul. Three times I begged God to take this thorn away, but here's God's reply. Don't miss this. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul, you need that thorn so you don't rely on you. You need that thorn so you'll look to me. And there's what Paul's response is. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because I 
because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we see the concern of the church, the commitment of the servant, uh, the contentment of the servant, the capability of God, but also here's the, the, the ribbon, okay? The cooperation of all three. Verse 14, still you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. So Paul commends them for sharing in his calamity and persecution. Note, he didn't just, he didn't just commend them for what they gave. He didn't write them a tax note. What, what do they call it? Uh, one of the, where you can put it on your taxes, you little receipt where you gave. Paul didn't say, okay, here's your receipt. Appreciate it. He said, thank you. I love you guys because you did well sharing with me in my hardship. Their monetary gift was a blessing financially as well as emotionally. And sometimes our gifts do as much to bless someone in spirit as they do in spending. I'm, I promise you, I, I've gotten a few cards over the last few weeks, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, those of you that have sent notes and, and cards. and, and, and just it, It's really encouraging. It's a blessing. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I don't open a card looking for a check. I don't open a card looking for a dollar, uh, some kind of bill. Here's what I open. I open a card to hear from somebody's heart. And when I open a card and I read the words that somebody has written that tells me that I've been an encouragement, that I've been a blessing, that I've lifted them up, <clears throat> that, that's more than any check or, or dollar bill or any bank account could provide. Imagine a young artist toiling away at her craft. Long Days, long nights, painting as a painter that, that nobody is looking at. And then one day somebody comes by and they buy one of her paintings. Let's say they give her $10. They will be greatly encouraged to continue her work by selling that one painting no matter how much it brought in. <clears throat> you understand what I'm saying? It's not a matter of making a mint on one of her paintings. It's a matter that she just keeps painting and painting and toiling and toiling. And finally somebody comes and says, I see worth in this. I'm going to pay you for what you've done, what you've created. I'm going to pay you for this. That's such a blessing. That's all it takes sometimes in the life of a believer. Not buying a painting, but just giving a word of encouragement. Can you imagine? Look at Grayson. What if, what if Grayson had never had one word of encouragement when he was uh, seventh grade in the youth band? What if nobody had ever encouraged him and said, hey, man, good job. He probably wasn't a very good guitar player when he first started. He, he didn't know what he was doing. He was young. But people encouraged him. And people said, hey, good job, Grayson. Hey, hey let, me, let me show you how to do this. Let me show you how to do that. Let me work with you. And then, and then God used that to, to plant seeds and to grow uh, encouragement in his life and to continue on this, this path to get his degree and to get into ministry. Sometimes it's just a simple encouragement that can make somebody's life turn around. That's what happens when all three of these things cooperate together. When the concern of the church is combined with the contentment of the servant and the capability of God, then you can have this cooperation that can do anything. It can change lives. It can change futures. It can change eternities because it allows us to share the gospel. It allows us to make disciples. It allows us to, to call people to repentance. So what's our takeaway from this passage? What is it that we're going to leave here with today? Simply put, this is, this is what I hope it is. Just a simple reminder to trust the Lord in everything. Our reliance on God should overcome our reluctance to give 
or serve or evangelize or make disciples. I just want to remind you, his promises are as trustworthy for us today as they were to Abraham, to Joseph, to Paul, and to this church that he's writing to. So I've got two questions and I'll close with these. What is it that keeps you from fully trusting him today? What is it that keeps you from fully trusting him today? And what is it that you're trusting today more than you're trusting him? Denise, can you get that picture I skipped over? I saved it to the end. I forgot to tell you. <clears throat> Which one of those lines would you get into when you're talking to the Lord? Would you be in the left line saying, God, you need to do more, or you're not doing enough, and I'm not satisfied? Or regardless of your circumstances, would you be willing to get into the right line and walk up there and say, God, thank you. Thank you for all that you've been to me and all that you've done for me. If you would, let's stand and pray. Our invitation is going to be brief and simple this morning. If you don't know Christ this morning, then all this talk about contentment and peace and gratitude makes no sense to you. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you need to repent of your sins and turn to Him as Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you say, Brother Kevin, I know Christ, but I'm not living for Him, then today's the day that you can rededicate your life to Him. You can make that declaration that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a person with an attitude of gratitude. I'm going to be part of this grand scheme of gratitude where my life connects with the church and the church is connected to the Savior and we accomplish things for the kingdom. If you're here today and you say, Brother Kevin, I know Christ, I'm connected with Him, and I'm living for Him, I'm I have a life that exemplifies gratitude, but I don't have a church to serve in, I don't have a church that I'm connected to, then you want to move your letter to Westmobile Baptist Church, we can do that this morning. But the specific takeaway today is I want you to examine your life, examine your heart, and really ask yourself, am I a person that is getting with the grand scheme of gratitude? Am I living a life that shows people that I am thankful for all that God is doing? Even if it's not perfect according to my plans, I know that it's a perfect plan because it's His. And if you need somebody to pray with you or talk to you about that, we'd be happy to do that. Uh, you can come talk to us after the service. Uh, but if you need to make a decision, just really quickly, if you need to make a decision, would you come now?